I would invite you to turn this evening to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 23, we're moving to the eighth commandment. Now the plan is after I have moved through these case laws that are in essence particular applications of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, I'm going to take a pause from the book of Deuteronomy and we're going to move to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a little bit like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. One book is very straightforward. The other is straightforward, but much of wisdom literature is difficult for a culture that is by and large unwise. It's sort of like developing a taste for fine wine if all you've ever had is grape juice. There is a learning curve to it. And the book of Ecclesiastes can be a challenge until you sort of unlock what is actually being said and understood uh, outside of a sort of Western idealistic mind. I look forward to that. But for now, we get to talk about laws concerning theft or larceny. The eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Uh, Verses 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 3. Verse 15 through Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 7. I begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter three, uh, 23, verse 15. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, And none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of these are an abomination to the Lord. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, But you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Now if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain." When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house and if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, Then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. 
And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. As far as the reading of God's word, let me actually, I need to keep going. I stopped early. <laughs> That's a bit embarrassing. When a man is newly married, he shall not go out with the army or be liable for any other public duty. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife whom he has taken. No one shall take a mill or an upper millstone in pledge, for that would be taking a life in pledge. If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now, let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of God's uh, for the blessing of the preaching of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, whatever my stumbling may be and the source of it, we ask that the clarity of the speech of the Spirit might be such that we would be moved to be those who long to do your holy will. That we might be those who understand that your law is not only good, but in it there is great reward in keeping. And so may we see it as the way of life. Not only as righteous speech, but life-giving speech. And not only in our nation, but in our hearts, in our churches, in our homes. Lord, that we might apply the eighth commandment, thou shalt not still, that in all things, O Lord, in Christ Jesus, we might be content, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen. Uh, now, you may be able to recite this if I prompt you. Uh, we use, written by Martin Bootser, who was alive in some ways a contemporary of Martin Luther, uh, the Strasbourg Liturgy. And it would be a liturgy that would be used by the churches in Strasbourg. Easy enough, right? And in the Eighth Commandment, this is what we say. We confess that we have stolen. We acknowledge our greed. We admit our love of the world and the things of the world. We have dishonestly gained and kept what we have and greedily held what belongs to others. Now, I want to talk about the phenomenon of covetousness. And no, I don't want to get into the Tenth Commandment there is an insatiable appetite in the heart of man to have something that is not his and to take it, not just to desire it, but the means of wicked acquirement of it. I remember when we got an upgrade from our pop-up camper, we got this beautiful travel trailer. And then this travel trailer was sweet. And then I pulled my travel trailer into Ocean Lakes Campground and I realized... <laughs> It wasn't quite that sweet. I mean, it was awesome. But you should see some of the campers out there. The travel, the ones that have the toy hauler with the thing that folds down in the back and it has these two queen-size beds that move up and down so that you can pile all the kids into this one room that is lined with vinyl. So that by the end of the camping trip, you can just go in there and hose the whole room down. It's beautiful. And then I realized that camper is worth 10 of my campers. And I thought, you know what? I'm content. I'm content. It is easy for us to not only marvel at the things of others, that's a, a seed emotion that begins in our hearts, but we devise of ways to gain for ourselves that thing by way of a shortcut. Theft, larceny, stealing, in fact, in the Westminster Larger Catechism, 
If you want just some brutal, soul-searing application of the Word of God, especially the law of God, go to the Westminster Larger Catechism towards the end as the Westminster Divines, as they're called, exposit and apply the Ten Commandments. And this is what they say. The sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, are theft, robbery, man-stealing, receiving anything that is stolen, fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures, removing landmarks, injustice and unfaithfulness in contracts between man and man, or in matters of trust, oppression, extortion, usury. Usury is loan sharking. Think a loan shark. Bribery, vexatious lawsuits, unjust enclosures, and depredation, engrossing commodities to enhance the price. Inflation unlawful callings, and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbor what belongs to him or of enriching ourselves, covetousness, inordinate prizing and affecting worldly goods, distrustful and distracting cares and studies and getting, keeping and using them, envying at the prosperity of others, as likewise idleness, prodigality, wasteful gaming. That's interesting. I've never used Westminster Larger Catechism 142 when talking to my boys about video games. Wasteful gaming. 500 years ago, they predicted this problem. Wasteful gaming and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice our outward estate and defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God hath given us. I've wasted time with playing games too. <laughs> it is essentially this. God has given us something, and we say, I'm not happy with that. I want something else. And so it is a lack of gratitude in our heart, and then a sinful way of acquiring that which God has not given us in his holy will. Righteous, by righteous means. And so Moses, as he's looking at the Eighth Commandment, is turning to Israel, and he's saying to them, here are some areas in which we can clearly apply the Eighth Commandment. Here are some case laws. And I have two points that I want to make. First, laws concerning theft, and then second, marriage and theft. Laws concerning theft, and then second, marriage and theft. Now, there are five individual case laws that are mentioned here. Verses 15 and 16, 17 and 18, 19 and 20, 21 and 22, and you guessed it, 24 and 25. Five case laws in which we see Moses applying the Eighth Commandment to all manner of situations that can appear in life. Now, the first of these is in verses 15 and 16. What happens if a slave from a foreign nation escapes across the boundary and the border of Israel? What are you to do with him? Well, Moses makes it clear. You ought not. You shall not. You should not. Don't do it. Give that slave back to his master. But you shall carve out for him, according to his own choice, a place in your camp. As soon as I read it, this is what I thought. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. The nation of Israel, not just as a nation, but as a holy assembly of the elect, 
is to be a refuge for those imprisoned by the idolatry of pagan nations. The thing that the church has to offer now, and I think you're seeing this more than ever, that the world does not have to offer, though they say they do, is real freedom and real liberty. Liberty from the law of sin and death. I don't mean the law, I mean the curse of disobedience to the law. And as those who've been set free, now a place at the table. If you have time later tonight or this week, go read the story of David and Melchizedek. And how Melchizedek, though a grandson to Saul, was shown mercy by David. Do you know what pagan kings did to the families they ousted? They killed them all. But Melchizedek, the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul, the only living member of that family was shown mercy at David by David and invited to eat at his table like a son. Christ has shown asylum. He has made it possible for men and women and children to flee into that place of safety. Now look at verse 17 and 18. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord. Now dog here is just a, it's, it's a derogatory term for a male prostitute. This prostitution is referred to as holy prostitution, not in that it was righteous, but that it was prostitution that centered around the cultic temples of the pagan people and their pagan gods. And what would happen is this. In order to commune with God, you would pay a prostitute, and through that act, it was a sort of sacramental sexual act. Now, this is what God is saying. You don't get to be a cult prostitute on Friday and bring your tithe to the Lord's house on Saturday. How you make your money, how you do that is very important. Not just that you give it, but how you acquire it. Now here's the irony of verses 17 and 18. The whole of this nation celebrates the things that the pagan nations that surrounded Israel celebrate today. They celebrate these acts. In fact, our, our nation is filled, and not just our nation, but the sort of first world nations of this world, first world country nations of this world, are filled with this kind of celebration of sexuality as a kind of expression of self-righteous liberation. And God wants nothing to do with that. Don't bring your singles to Sunday morning worship. Do you know what I'm saying? God is very concerned with how you make a wage. And prostitution is not a legitimate occupation. And so in verses 15 and 16, what the Lord is saying is, there is a place for you to set free the property of another if it's a foreign master. Verses 17 and 18, as it relates to theft, as it relates to property, how we are to handle our wages, a wage ill-gotten is not honoring to the Lord. 
An immoral occupation is theft. It is a violation of the Eighth Commandment. And not only that, but look at verses 19 and 20. Your brother, I'm sorry, you shall charge no interest on loans to your brother. Now, there are times where you can charge interest. What the Lord is talking about here is what is referred to as usury. Usury is charging interest that breaks the back of another. Think 25.99% APR. You know what I'm talking about? 21% APR. It's debtor prisons that you would see in England in the 1800s. It is to loan to the extent that they can never pay back. And so what the Lord is saying is this. If your brother comes to you asking you for money, why is that? He's coming to you because he's broken. He needs your help. And for you to make money off of helping your brother is a great wicked thing indeed. Instead, don't charge him interest. Loan him the money. There is a place for profiting off of loans, but this is not it. Now, the one holdout here is that you can charge interest to a foreigner, but not to your brothers of Israel. What we are called to do, especially in the household of faith, is uplift, assist, and help a fellow brother or sister in Christ as a higher calling than making a profit. I want you to think this. Don't be a Scrooge. No one likes Scrooge. Why do you hate Scrooge? Because he's a pitiless, just wealth-mongering, self-righteous jerk until the very end. And then what happens? What is the evidence? What is the fruit of his transformation? He gives freely and cheerfully. Don't be a Scrooge. Verses 21 through 23 if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. This is, O oh Lord, I will give to you X. You don't have to do that, but if you do that, you need to pay your vow. Now, why would a person make a vow like this? In order to make a deal with God, right? So often, Lord, if you do this, I will do this. You do not have to make this vow, the Lord says. You need to be careful. Verse 23, you shall be careful to do what is past your lips. What the Lord wants from his people is to be overwhelmed and moved by his graciousness to you. And in turn, what you do is you say, Lord, this is what I am giving to you. When you make those just by example, five membership vows, membership of this church. What you are saying before God and men is, these are the things I believe, and then that fifth one is, this is what I will do. Sometimes one of the reasons we often may hold young children back is because when they make that fifth vow, we're going to hold them to the fifth vow. And by the time they become teenagers, and it's been six years, they may say, well, I don't remember doing that. And I say... God does. He heard you. And everyone in this room heard you. And whether or not you do not understand the limits of it, God is holding you to it. You do not have to. 
the church is, look at verse 22, voluntarily vow to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Voluntarily here is a cheerful, willing voluntariliness. That's kind of a word. Remember what you said you would do and do it. Now, of course, as it relates to the Eighth Commandment, what that means is when you say to the Lord, I will bring this, then you bring that. Again, we go back to Ananias and Sapphira, who vowed to the Lord, this is what we're bringing, and they lied to the apostles about it, and they were struck dead because of their deceitful ways. I'm not saying you're going to be struck dead, but it is a great offense to the Lord. Now, verses 24 and 25 if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes. Now, some of you may say, that's awesome. But there is a limit. You can put them in your mouth, but you can't put them in your pocket. You can take some heads of grain off, but you can't take your sickle to it. This is a way in which every Israelite could care for another Israelite. When you go on a long road trip, where do you stop? Well, you stop at the convenience store. And you obviously trade one good for another. You trade cash for food. But what if there were no convenience stores? And you were on foot. And you were on a great journey. And you found yourself in a field and you were hungry. Well, then you just walk by. You sort of strip some of the heads of grain off a stalk and you just pop them in your mouth. You throw some carbs in and you just keep on going. Well, the owner of that field should be willing to lend, in essence, and the person who's walking should feel free to take. But what he should not do is pull out his sickle and begin to harvest his brother's crops because they do not belong to him. You must respect the property of another, grazing but not harvesting. Parents, do you ever say this to your boys while they're teenagers? We want you to graze, not harvest. Please, you're eating us out of house and home. Slow down. Ancillary grazing was not prohibited. And the circumstance is that you're not taking to benefit household wealth. You're doing it to what? Preserve your life. To fill your belly for a time. And so these laws, these little case laws about property, are there to assist Israel in thinking about how we are to love and care for and acknowledge that we are... Individual property rights are biblically based. There is no such thing as biblical socialism or communal property ownership unless there is a clear agreement. The default is every tribe had property, and the families within those tribes had property, and that property was not wholly one's own that they would not use it for the help of others, but it was to be governed and stewarded by a particular family. And this is how they were to think of their own individual property. God has given this to me in order to bless the whole nation in some capacity, especially the poor, the sojourner, and the widow. We are to seek to honor the Lord with what we have, for this principle rises. This is a great wisdom principle from Proverbs chapter 11. I'm reading from the King James. There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is met, but it tendeth to poverty. 
Now you may say, could you please just read it from the ESV? What the writer of Proverbs is saying is this. When you give, what you find is you have more. But when you hold back and withhold from others, you find that you have less. I love this. This is why I'm reading from the King James. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessing shall be upon the head of him that selleth it. These laws were made to be kept by men so that they might have the blessing of the return that is felt as they give to those with need. And if you do not know how it makes you fat to give, I would encourage you to try it. To be a blessing to others and to receive blessing from them as well. All right, second point, marriage and theft. Let's move quickly here. This next section Moses covers is theft related to the covenant of marriage. Now, this is some unique territory, and these particular case laws cover not the seventh commandment, do not commit adultery, though there may be something of that here, but rather what happens when a man puts a wife away because she's either unfaithful or something has happened, and he has a lawful reason to divorce in the first place. She remarries that first husband may not then marry her again. And we're going to look at why that is and what the principle is of that. So when a man divorces a woman in verses 1 through 4, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because of indecency, so he has mosaic biblical grounds for divorce, he says, we're done, the bride price that she has brought to that marriage, the dowry, maybe it's some livestock or some money, some, something of value, he gets to keep that and she goes away empty-handed. If she marries again and that husband either divorces her or he dies, the first husband may not marry her. Now, there is... A, a, a term that we have, and I'd be amazed if you're familiar with it. The term is called estoppel or estoppel. It's a French word, and basically what it means is this. You cannot, you cannot, in essence, assert a right that you have previously given up in the past. Now, the reason is this. The first husband cannot, having put that wife away one time, bring her back in order to have two dowries. Because whatever he found unpleasant in her remains. That that charge in the beginning remains. And so what he cannot do is think, oh, another dowry, and then bring her back into his home. Now the reason for this is, in essence, to protect her and the dowry that she possesses, and it would count as theft. It is not here the issue of the morality of the divorces, but rather the property between the parties. This is very important. And let me just say, it's very important today when people remarry and divorce for all manner of reasons, and many are left poverty-stricken because there is no respecting of the property that persons possess. I mean, you can go to states now and get no-fault divorces. What is that? 
How is that even possible? How can you have a no-fault divorce when the Bible clearly expresses it has to be someone's fault in order for a divorce or a certificate of divorce to be granted? And so what we're dealing with is God's care that sin may not be brought into the land and that you may not have a group of men who are growing rich of casting their wives aside. Now let's move to verse 5. Here is another issue related to marriage, and that is this. If a man is of an age and is liable for public duty, that means military service, if he is newly married, he gets to stay at home for a year. Now why do you think that is? Well, he has a house, most likely. He has a wife. They're looking to have a child. They're seeking to establish a home. He is given a year to build up his household. Because the likelihood might be if he goes into combat, he could die. And there would be nothing left for his wife and his child. God cares for the homes of his covenant people. And so he establishes this principle that not only if you are afraid and you're willing to admit it, you can stay at home, but if you've just married, stay home. He shall be free at home one year to be happy with his wife. Or some translations say to make his wife happy. What do you think that means? To build a house, to build a home, to make a family, to give her what she wants. And I don't mean sitting on the couch eating bonbons. <laughs> I mean a name. You're talking to people like us who love the promise of the seed of the woman. And so even for us, children are more than just something that we look into the eyes of our spouse longingly and say, I think it's time to have a baby. And then three years later you go, what were we thinking? It's a sacrifice, isn't it? But that sacrifice, that commitment, is the means by which we are faithful to the call to be fruitful and to multiply. Look at verse 6. You are not allowed to say, if I don't pay my debt, you can take my you know the phrase, if anyone would cause even the least of these to stumble, it is better for a millstone to be tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. That's what this is. You should never say or, or take a vow, if I don't pay you back, you have my life. You cannot sell your life for a debt. Look at the burden our culture faces with so many lives in debt. And where is the year of Jubilee? Ultimately, the year of Jubilee is Christ Jesus. And even those who are in debt to Chase or Citibank or whomever it is are free in Christ Jesus. But as God is establishing his law, can you imagine? Can you imagine if this were the way it was? My prayer is that God's law would become our law. Verse 7. 
If a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, then that thief shall die. Chattel slavery, man-stealing, is biblically prohibited. You may not take another person and use that person to pay a debt. It's simple. No man is your property in that way. You may not steal someone and use them to pay a debt. God desires for us to embrace the beauty and the glory and the value of all human life. To labor for the freedom, not only spiritually but financially, of our common man. Is it hard to feel spiritual freedom when you are physically burdened by debt? It is difficult. And God has a desire for all of us in some fashion to assist one another in being free from this desire, this urge to go after things that do not belong to us and take them for ourselves and violate the Eighth Commandment. So what can we say to all of these things? Do not seek to enrich yourself through wicked and devious means. Rather, give thanks to the Lord, for he gives you what you need. Let the seed of tenderness, compassion, charity, and thanksgiving be sown among you all. In fact, I'm going to use Paul's words from Ephesians 4. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. This is what the new covenant community should look like. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, and it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the ideal. In fact, this is the growth of Christian maturity. They won't even in our children. Don't take, but labor so that you might give. Even as Christ has given himself freely, may we be a people who understand the gift that we have. Let's pray. Well, Lord, God, we-